So I'll sit here if that's all right. Um, I've, uh, I've come here today because primarily I wanted to meet up with Mike, but also I asked him for some um, possibility of just coming and saying thank you. And then Mike said, well, look, why don't you do that, but also um, share what's on your heart. And I do have some things that I feel the Lord is speaking to the nation and particularly to you as a church. But uh, I want to just talk about the, the journey I've been through for a little bit because I think there are some interesting things and, and you invested in that journey. I, um, I found out about five, six, seven years ago that I had a condition called congenital hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Essentially, what that meant was an inherited heart disease where the heart wall thickens. And if it's not dealt with, your heart could grow to such a size, either internally in the heart or as the heart itself, that it actually expands and doesn't fit into your heart, your chest cavity, and you die from it. So it's a serious heart condition. And uh, I had, had it monitored for many years, since probably around about 2000, 2001. Um, and it was in good control and then about November last year uh, I went to the heart specialist as I was doing and it had deteriorated significantly to the point I had to stop all exercise and have an urgent heart operation. And through a series of events um, uh, I ended up in hospital um, getting uh, urgently put into hospital to have a procedure called a myectomy which basically is they go to the top of the heart and they go through the valves of the scalpel and they shave the knuckle that had grown inside of the heart and there was also the potential that the left mitral valve was faulty and may require a second operation. So cut a long story short, got into the hospital, had the myectomy and I didn't recover. And uh, I was five minutes away from dying. Um, I didn't know this of course because I was very heavily sedated and uh, Patricia was brought in and uh, they said we've got to put him into surgery urgently because if we don't, his whole body is in the process of shutting down. And uh, she said, well, we've got time for the kids to come. The kids were up near Hawaii, stuck in a van, and she's trying to get them to come because they're saying your father's going into an operation. And of course, by the, the first operation was, a, was one of the most risky operations you can have on your heart other than a heart replacement and only one or two surgeons in all of New Zealand can do the operation, the myectomy. But, I needed it, but my heart was shutting down, the mitral valve was, was, um, was, was no good and they had to replace the mitral valve with a mechanical mitral valve and that's why Mike, talk, Pastor Mike talks about the, the tick. If you were very quiet you'd hear the tick in the room. Um, so you know, we had that, that, that second operation, uh, but I didn't recover. And they were really concerned they couldn't get me to recover. And uh, it was really only through some people coming up into the hospital and praying for me that uh, I started to recover and they were able to get the tubes out and so on. And of course it was then for me an unfolding revelation of what actually they'd done. I didn't know for four or five days that I'd had two heart, operation, heart operations. I didn't know how serious it was. I'm just recovering. Um, but the thing that I came to realise as I was at the point of dying, as I look back on it, I'm alive today because of the prayers of the saints of God in New Zealand and around the world. I have absolutely no doubt 
at all that I would be dead if it wasn't for the saints of God that prayed. I never understood the power of intercession until this experience because we have interceded and seen so many people die but actually you interceded and I and I'm alive and I and I know beyond any doubt that's the reason I'm alive the stories of people praying for me are just remarkable a pastor for four nights could not go to bed and sleep he had to pray for me for four nights all night his wife was so stirred by the Holy Spirit for three days and three nights she couldn't lie down she couldn't sit down people couldn't understand what was going on but the Holy Ghost had taken her over and said you must pray for Brent Douglas because his life is at risk the problem was that it wasn't just those, those are just one example of literally dozens and dozens of people and I, the first thing I want to say to you today is how grateful and how thankful I am to you and to your church for praying for me. I'm here today because you prayed. Your prayers joined the saints around the world, but I know that this, particularly as a church, gave yourselves, and some of you really gave yourselves to prayer, and it's that that has actually kept me alive. The second thing I want to say to you as well is how grateful Patricia and I are that you released Mike to come and Mike and Joy to come and see me in the hospital. And uh, I didn't want to see anybody else because Mike's been my friend for 30, 40 years. And uh, Mike came into the hospital and uh, prayed for me and was such a great support. And uh, I want to just thank you for Bedding might come, and of course I didn't know this until um, you know, some days later that Patricia had asked Mike to come to the church and to talk to the church and minister to our church, which he did. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that, because there is nobody in the world that I would have wanted to come and see me other than Mike and Joy because of what I was going through and I don't know that anybody that I know in the world would understand the dynamics and the, the warfare and the wrestle that was actually going on at the time and to be honest I don't know that I understood that at the time but certainly Patricia and Mike and Joy understood that the spirit of death was coming around me and it was trying to take me out and it needed somebody of his weight and Joy's weight in the spirit to pray and to push the demon forces back from around me. And this is really my formal thank you to you as a church for your support, for your releasing of Mike and Joy into our situation. And uh, for whatever happens in the future and whatever good things that we may do in the future, you have now got an investment in that. And uh, so I am just so deeply grateful. I, uh, I, um, I want to share um, what I learned through the experience because I think it's relevant for us as ministries to understand what actually goes on. And um, I mean, I know that I'm not the only one that's had near-death type experiences, but 
there, there, are, there are three things that I came to realise. The first thing was what you put into your spirit is what will communicate to you when you cannot pray. I am a revivalist at heart and my heart is for the Holy Spirit to flow. It replayed like a crack record in my spirit for hours upon hours a song that a woman by the name of Karen Wheaton who I think is one of the most anointed worship leaders in the world a song she says you know let the river flow you know let the spirit come let revival come she just does a song in fact I was listening to it on the plane coming here and the, the first line of that that song just kept playing over and over and over and over and over because you see that was that's my life message and that life message is what came through and I think it's important that we know what our life message is personally and then we invest in it because that's what actually communicates the second thing that I came to realize was the incredible clarity of how your future should look you know I could pray for hours and hours and wait on God and get counsel and still not get the clarity that when you are totally at the point and even you're under all the drugs and under all of the hallucinations and so on but there was a clarity in your spirit and in my spirit as to what my next 25 years must look like and I have started to implement the next 25 years I know that my next 25 years are going to be the most fruitful years of my life but I saw it so clearly, so black and white and I won't bore you with what those details are but your spirit communicates that and when all your defences are down your spirit's able to come through and actually speak and so I came out of the hospital knowing what my life needed to look like the third thing that I came to realise which may surprise you I never understood that I was loved by people and that may be a strange thing to say but some a month or two after I got out of the hospital and I'm still and I am still in recovery mode in many, many sense they say it'll take a year to come fully recovered I had to do a tour with the Network Christian Ministries which I fundamentally which I basically oversee I went to Christchurch, went to Palmerston North and of course to Auckland and uh, like today uh, I had person after person come up to me crying and saying how great it is to see you alive and they would begin to share about the, the encounters with God as the Spirit of God stirred them to pray for me and I was stunned because you've got to understand from my perspective um, what I've done in the nation has not been because I want money or recognition or honour or status I've done what I've done because actually I love New Zealand and I love his, his church in New Zealand and uh, I made a lot of mistakes over the years and all that stuff but the fundamental driving force is actually I love God's church and I love the church in New Zealand and so there has never ever in my heart been an expectation 
to receive back. Not even to receive honour if that's not going to be there. I'll still do what I'm doing. Not even to receive love. And all of a sudden to find that there was this incredible love in the body of Christ was absolutely stunning to me. And uh, I, uh, I had this experience uh, recently. Um, there's a church in Auckland, the South Auckland Community Church, the Church of Cook Islanders, and they see me as their sort of father over their church. And one of the things that had happened, I felt the Lord had said to me when I first got out of hospital that I needed to go to my church and say thank you to the church for praying. And what had actually happened is, and I just went for two minutes, I had to be helped up on the stage, um, and I had to be helped down, helped into the car, but I really believed in God that I needed to say thank you right, at the, right as soon as I could, so I did. And it went for about two minutes, and unbeknown to Patricia and I, this video was put onto the internet. And uh, we have subsequently found that this video went all around the world. People, because we had it taken off, 36 hours later we had it taken off, but all around the world people had seen this video, right? And the South Auckland Community Church had seen it. And they, they had a, we'd, we'd sort of got a ministry into their church one midweek meeting, and I said, look, I, I'd like to come and just listen to this guy. And uh, it was so funny because I, I arrived about half past eight, so, you know, the meeting had been going for an hour. And it was like it really didn't matter what that guy was saying. It was like they weren't interested in him. I'd arrived. Now, again, you don't expect the response. But they then told me the story. And they said, Brent, do you not realise that you're our father and we love you so much? And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for you. And then she said one day, she said I was, uh, after you got out of hospital, but she said I was, I was in my, my house and someone yelled to me and said, uh, to Rani, which is the wife, she said, come and see it, come, come here. And this was the video and they played the video. And I'm told the story that she fell down under the power of God and she screamed. For the next three Sundays she played the video in her church and people fell under the power of God, people wept, people shouted for three weeks of watching the video. Now, I don't think, and, and she says to me, it's the most powerful testimony she's ever seen. My point of saying the story is, there was an example of a church that deeply loved me, and they expressed that love through praying for me, and, uh, and that connection. So, of course, the end of that in height, it was all about relating to dad and uh, it's again my thanks to the body of Christ and my thanks to the church here for, for praying for me and just standing with me and, and so on and uh, my heart since the operation it's like a switch has got turned on um, you know we, I'm losing weight believe it or not um, I'm fitter than I have been but emotionally and spiritually it's like I have been totally transformed and I've got drive and motivation and uh, faith at levels I haven't experienced. I didn't realise how debilitated I'd become. So I am believing for God to do great things through our nation and the South Pacific as a consequence. And, uh, I, I, and I'll just share one more experience and then I want to share what I feel the Holy Ghost is saying to you and to our nation. 
I was invited to go to the Fiji um, conference with Suli Suliisi. And there was about 3,000 in the auditorium and about 2,000 outside, and I was the keynote speaker. And I'm six weeks from recovery, and after two heart operations, there's a fair degree of stress. But I really felt in God to go. And, um, and for a whole lot of circumstances, um, God used me, and it was fantastic, and we connected really strongly. But they, for a week, they had this conference of people. They planted churches in England and the, um, uh, the, the Maasai, in Africa, all around the world and so on. They raised $2 million for their next 12 months for missions. And these are very poor people. They put their hands up the number of businessmen that were in the meeting and there were maybe 30 business people. So it wasn't business people that were giving $2 million. These were people like you and I. But it made me realise how incredibly self-centred we are in New Zealand how incredibly selfish we are, myself included, and how if that experience of seeing that and, the, and how much it stunned me, even though I was so sick, I realised that was like a prophetic statement. I've got to come again to New Zealand and see God bring revival and see things start to unlock in our nation again. So thank you. I have, uh, I have three things I want to share with you, if I may do that. Um, unless you've got any questions or you want to say or comment before I do this. We're glad to see you alive. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be alive. It's interesting, actually, you know, um, when you're dying, I knew I was dying, actually, at one point. They kept lying to me, saying, you're all right, but I knew I wasn't all right. Um, but actually, when you're a Christian, it doesn't matter because to die is gain, yeah. Yeah. but to, to stay is for Christ. And actually, that was so real to me. And I knew the only reason I need to stay is because there's a work to do in our nation. And that's for Christ because to die would have been to gain. Let's turn our Bibles, if you would, to Exodus 33. I am uh, I'm deeply burdened about some things. I believe after 30, 40 years of being a Christian, whatever, and passing for nearly 30 years, I have been in the forefront of some of the most amazing moves of the Holy Spirit that has ever hit our nation. I was a key player in our nation for the Toronto Blessing, and I'm so thankful for the Lord that he actually used me to go around and do revival. We, we, we actually led one of the longest-running revival meetings other than something that happened in, um, near Wellington uh, in, in Timaru for five months, four nights a week and uh, miracles have got onto TV and the newspapers and all sorts of stuff so God has used me. I can tell the signs of when a revival is about to unlock but I can also see at the same time the signs of deception and danger and I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about glory, I want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about miracles. I want to talk about glory. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles, to Exodus 33. And I want to show you something that has absolutely transformed my understanding of what God is doing in the world and in our nation today. There is this I believe it's a move of God 
of the glory of God coming to the church. When we were in the charismatic movement, I think one of the most destructive doctrines that was taught in the charismatic movement was that the sign of a person having received the baptism of the Spirit was speaking in tongues. And that's not what Jesus said. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Speaking in tongues is the natural, normal and expected result of a power encounter with God. When I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, it was in an hour and a half of a power encounter. And it transformed my life. Um, but what actually happened in the charismatic movement, we said, the sign is tongues, so we looked for tongues. When you had tongues, we said, hallelujah, you got the baptism. When actually, most people didn't have the baptism, they got the gift. And the proofs and the puddings, because the miracles didn't unlock, the signs and wonders didn't unlock as we expected, and the souls didn't flood into the kingdom of God, which is proof because it was power to be my witnesses. I see the same thing is happening right now with the glory. I believe that the thing that people are going for is actually like the speaking in tongues. It should be the normal and subsequent result of something much more important. And the thing that people are fascinated by is the gold dust, is the jewels, it's the angelic visitations. It's the uh, heavenly third heaven experiences. And, and all of those things that are going on in the glory movement. All of those things I totally agree with and I totally endorse. But they are not what we should be going after. But when you go for the wrong thing, you get the wrong result. See? And I became very, very troubled, especially when the gold dust started to happen. And I've had the gold dust, we've had the feathers, we've had the jewels and all of that stuff. And it was, to me it was just ludicrous seeing people staring in their hands trying to find a speck of gold dust in their hands. But we had rem remarkable things with all the gold dust and the oil and the wind. And, the, and one of the things the Lord said to me was, he said, um, I will release the fragrance, and this is in recent years, whenever you ask me to bring the fragrance, I will bring it. And without fail, every single time I've asked the Holy Ghost to bring his fragrance into a meeting, the fragrance has come. I've had situations where 100% of a, of a congregation, and I'm talking 2,000 people at a time, have all smelt the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. So we have seen all of these things. But I became deeply troubled that people were going for that and not going for the real thing. I want to read you something that absolutely stunned me in Ezekiel 33. Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favour in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray thee, Show me thy glory. Now that's the prayer that everybody's asking. They're going to glory conferences and you're getting glory ministries in and people are having glory experiences. Whatever that's packaged, this is what people are having and it's all wonderful. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. 
I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, stand on the rock, and, and I'll pass by, and, and you'll see my back, and so on. Now, of course, the first thing is God says, doesn't he, that he will not share his glory with another. So we have a problem right from there. But here's the thing. God's response to the cry for glory was this. This was God's answer to his prayer. Now look at it. I will make my goodness pass before you, number one. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I will show compassion. What is he actually expressing? Whenever he talks about the name, I'll pass my name before you, he's talking about what? The nature and character of God. When he's talking about goodness passing before you, he's talking about, I will reveal my nature and character and personality to you. Whenever he's talking about here gracious and compassion, what is he talking about? He's talking about the nature, character, person, the, the, person, the personality of God. What's he actually saying? I'll tell you the response for the glory is intimacy. It's knowing God at a level on an intimate relationship with God unprecedented in the history of the church since the early church. I believe that where many of the glory conferences and glory ministries are missing it, we have got fascinated by the manifestations as we did with the charismatic movement and as we did with the Toronto blessing. It was all about falling over and laughing and many churches missed the boat on that. I, I never believed it was about the falling over and laughing. I believe the throne of blessing was about leadership shift and releasing of new authority and understanding how power, supernatural power operates. That's a whole other story. But you see, we all went, many, many people, I, I didn't, but many people went for the wrong thing. And they wondered why it dried up. But in my church, it's never dried up. You understand? See, it just goes, I mean, I can stand up any time in my church, everyone will get drunk. And here we are on the precipice of the glory movement right as it's growing and it's, I think we're only at the start of it and already the seeds of deception are here like was in the charismatic movement, like was in the Toronto Blessing where we went for the, the subsequent results of that without going for what that thing really was about. The glory is about knowing God. And I believe if we're not careful, we're going to miss the day of our visitation because we're not understanding that the glory is actually about a grace that has come to the church to enable believers to find Christ in a level of intimacy unprecedented in our lifetime. That if we actually understood that and stopped going for the gold and stopped going for the third heaven experiences and stopped going for the angels and stopped looking for that as the focus but actually looked to knowing him, we would actually find that we would flow from this to revival. The charismatic movement was meant to take us to revival but instead... We prophesied over each other in our churches and we indulged ourselves with the gifts of the Holy Ghost and it never went out of the community. So we got the Toronto blessing. It was another chance. But instead of seeing it was the power of God to go out into our community, we just had these wonderful meetings. And here we are and we're making the same mistake. 
And I want to come as a prophetic warning to the body of Christ and to you today. We mustn't make this mistake again. And I'll show you why in a moment. I will show you why I believe that we are right on the verge of a major move of God. And I will show it to you and why this church is, is in a major move of God. I'm going to speak to the church in a moment. But if you get this wrong, I believe you'll miss your day of visitation. And I am deeply, deeply concerned about it. Very good. So I want to encourage you to get your thinking as leaders and in your congregation properly focused. This glory is coming to know him. As a consequence of that, I am booking out now that I've got better. I'm booking out my mornings now to pray like I used to pray. Um, I'm not going to tell you how long, but many hours a day I'm looking to do this now because I want to know him. I want to know, I want a fresh renaissance of Christ in my life. I am believing, now listen to this carefully, I am believing for a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit like I had with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I'm not looking to it via what I see happening in the glory movement. You understand? Look, if God gives that to me, I will be the happiest man alive. But I want a supernatural, sovereign thing because I am developing intimacy with him. And what he decides to give to me is up to him. And I don't know how it is. I'd never realised that when I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, for one and a half hours I'd be lifted off the floor and smashed on the floor, laughing, crying, laughing, crying, and then speaking in tongues. I never knew that that was going to happen. And I know for me that there's another encounter but it's not because I'm going for the gold dust or the angelic visitation or being taken into third heaven or getting so drunk I can't get off the floor for 12 hours or anything like this. It's something that comes out of I'm just loving God and I'm making an intimacy with him and then he will bring something to me. He will bring a visitation to me. And if, I, if all I do between now and the day that I die, that I keep seeking God for that and it doesn't come, I will still seek God for it because I am determined I will not focus on the wrong thing. Because as a, as a if you like, a leader in the Father in the body of Christ, I've got to lead by example. Eh? I plead, I make a plea to you. Don't go for the results. Go for what it's about. It's about knowing him. And that's the thing that God revealed to Moses, his character. The second thing that I so feel, I want you to turn to Matthew 17. I want to show you something that the Lord so wonderfully exposed to me in such a such amazing way. Um, Matthew 17, you have the transfiguration. And uh, they then have this problem in, in verse 14 onwards of this kid that's been brought to the disciples and they are unable to cast the demon out and Jesus comes and he rebukes them. And they, and they say, well, what was the problem? And he says in verse 20, he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for if truly 
yet faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, there is a huge challenge on at the moment in this glory thing because actually without faith it's impossible to please God. Now listen, you can have all the glory experiences, you can have all the gold dust and all the oil and all the fragrance and all the rolling around drunk and all the rest of it, but if you as a leader and as a leadership do not have faith to break through into miracles and break through into souls and break through in the spirit, you're nothing because God's not happy with you or with me. And the interesting thing was, if you do a study, as I've done through the book of Matthew, every time he commends a person's faith, they're a person who fundamentally doesn't know God. But those who were meant to know God were the ones that didn't have faith. You know, they, they were in the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and of course it was a phenomenal glory experience, see? Like many people are having today, and may even have tonight. Many people are having these great experiences. But in Jesus' evaluation, it was, well, let's see whether that glory experience outworks itself in being able to cast the demon out. And the answer was no. And so he said, even though you had this incredible third heaven experience, you've got no faith. See, what's the issue? So the issue is, you're no good if you don't have faith. And that faith needs to express itself in all sorts of ways. It needs to express itself in believing for the money. It needs to express itself in believing for the miracles. It needs to express itself in seeing the church grow. It needs to express itself in seeing lives that we're ministering to transformed. And if that's not happening, you can have all the experiences of the glory of God that, that you might, might think that you should have. It means absolutely nothing in the economy of God because he's looking at us and saying you've had these great experiences but you've actually got no faith that's true and I've got a problem and so and Jesus is basically saying I've got a real problem and so Jesus is incredibly angry at his disciples in the same way when he's asleep in the boat and there's this huge storm and they, are, they wake him up these fishermen who should have felt safe in the sea but they knew they were dying and Jesus is asleep and they wake him up and he rebukes us he rebukes the, the, the storm and he turns and he rebukes the, the disciples and we think the poor disciples, I mean they were nearly dying they were full of terror and he's rebuking them but you see they had already had months and months and months of seeing miracles seeing Jesus work in faith and this was actually given to them as their first opportunity not to pray to Jesus but to pray to the storms and break the storms of life and they failed to understand their moment of visitation because that storm was an opportunity to exercise faith and they missed it. Okay? And as a consequence, they rebuked. And the whole challenge all the time with the disciples and Jesus was they were not elevating their faith. And... I believe faith's measurable because he talks about he's given us an allotment of faith and that what we do with our faith determines whether the faith will, will, will increase, double, triple, quadruple or whether our faith is the same level as what it was. I believe faith's measurable 
and I believe that it's my job as a leader and my staff to measure how much allotment of faith each of my leaders are operating in and challenge them to grow in faith because Jesus expects that of his disciples. And if you are only capable of doing what you were able to do two years ago at your faith level, you are actually failing. See? Now that's a huge challenge because I'm facing that right now because I, I've got some growth barriers I want to bust into. But I have to draw on every bit of faith that I've got and believe that God will somehow grow some more faith. You understand? Now, remember the story for a moment in the boat and the storm. Now, I want you to turn to Mark and I want to show you something in, uh, in Mark 13 that the Lord really showed me. I believe this is a word for your church. I believe it's related to Jesus in the boat and the storm. And I believe, Mark 13, and I believe this is directly connected to your church at the moment that you need to see. Jesus talks about the temple getting destroyed. And they ask him, when will these things happen? And in verse 5, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying I'm here and will mislead many and you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Do not be frightened. These things must take place. And that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. And, there'll, and these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And he goes on with a whole lot of issues that are going to happen. Um, the first thing is these are just birth pangs. But they are birth pangs that we need to understand are birth pangs and not ignore what's happening. I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is something about what's happening in Christchurch. I'm not saying it's the judgment of God, but I am saying no one's got killed. And why is that? I think it's and, the, and, and of course Mike and I were talking about this today. See, Christchurch was the centre of the birth, was the birthplace of the prophetic and apostolic in our nation. And they have betrayed that positioning in the spirit. And we need to understand there are some birth pangs in our nation and God somehow is letting us know of those birth pangs that are continuing because there's yet to be a proper response to that. But actually, there is trouble. There's been trouble in your church. There have been storms, I know, because I've had only a little talk, but I know that you've been through some storms. I, the first thing I want to say to you is they're just birth pangs. And birth pangs are always a promise of a birth. And that birth is actually a revival. It's the release of what the glory is all about. The glory is birth pangs to something much more powerful for our nation. I believe that we are on the verge of a revival. And I'll show you biblically why, if I might do that from a prophetic perspective, in verse 29. He goes right through all of these things all these troubles, all these birth pains that are happening. And then he finishes off by saying, 
and verse 29, even so you too, when you see these things happening, recognise he is near. He's right at the door. He is near. He is right at the door. We look at the birth pains. We look at the storms that were, that were in the boat. We look at the troubles that have been and the, and the problems that have been in Bay City. We look at the eco- economy that many churches have suffered on and all the rest of it. Look, they are just birth pangs and right. they are a sign right. that he's right at the door. He's actually so close to coming in with visitation and revival. If you got your eyes off the birth pangs and looked to the thing that is actually right there is that Jesus is right at the door. He is standing right there to come and he's actually near. These troubles are a sign to you as a church that he's right near you. He's right at the door. Now of course the thing is we struggle with this because we're dealing with the, with the day by day traumas of, of people leaving and people going and doing this and going to that. We think how can we survive and we feel betrayed sometimes and we feel hurt and all the rest of it. But if we can get a global perspective, a biblical perspective, yeah, all of these things are simply a tremendous sign that he's at the door for you as a church, for goodness sake. And how can I say that to you? Because this is the primary, the primary apostolic prophetic church of New Zealand. This is the, this is the, the centre of what I would consider to be the primary revival spot of New Zealand in this building and where we're seated here tonight today. And you have to understand the perspective that I believe God sees you from. I believe this perspective is, I've shaken you up a bit. But listen, if you can, from the littleness of faith, lift your faith and see it from God's perspective, it's actually a sign that something's about to get birthed. And he's right at the door of your spirit realm, of your church, of your leadership, of your people, to bring in something far greater than you have ever experienced before in the life of your church. You have to lift your faith to see it that way because otherwise all you will see are the birth pangs and the pain and not see beyond the birth pangs and pain to what God's actually doing. In the same way the glory, it's actually about bringing intimacy. See, The storm was actually about elevating faith. The glory is about finding Christ in a new way. But in the process, always there's going to be great trouble. There's always going to be a storm before a deliverance. There's always going to be trouble before the birth. There's always going to be pain before the child is born. But I say to this church, he's right at the door of your church. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says. Because you need to hear that. And I believe... You know, you look back on 2009 and 10. What are we now? 10. And it'll be nothing. It'll be just like a, a shadow of nothing for what you're about to enter into. Because you're just going through some birth pangs. And with the birth pangs, some pain has to happen. A clearing out of some stuff needs to happen. But he's right at the door. He's right at the door. The third thing that I feel 
and uh, I am advantaged from the fact that I've been involved in the ministry for since I was a teenager. I've never seen the miracles like I see today. I've never seen the signs and wonders of supernatural healings and the quantity of healings as I see today. I've developed a very, very good friend, a friendship with a man who I won't go into his name, but he's a very rich man, he's a Christian. And he, we now regularly meet up. And uh, he said this to me. He said, I yearn for the days of the charismatic movement. And I said to him, I don't. What I've experienced in the last 15 years far outstrips anything of what I saw in the charismatic movement. I mean, I was there at Alexander Park Raceway when Ray Mossold had prayed for this woman who had tuberculosis or something like that, had no eyebrows and eyelashes. He prayed for her. I watched them grow before my eyes until within 20 minutes she got a full set of eyebrows and eyelashes. But that's nothing to what I've seen in the last 12 months of miracles. The quantity of miracles, the abundance of signs and wonders my own son, two weeks ago on Sunday night, some of you will have heard of the metal disappearing in people's legs. Now, I don't understand that metal suddenly getting flexible. And, so, and this is happening all over the place. And my son, who um, had a kite surfing accident and had to end up having metal put into his ankle and couldn't walk or run with the pain, he gets paid, prayed for by Chad Deadman, and he ends up running back and forth in the front of our auditorium. That same son is who, I was saying to Mike, who you'd think is the most shut down person in many respects. He's not sort of a given to emotion. But it's, but it's having the Holy Spirit come upon him and take him into prayer. And for five minutes he will, he will find himself weeping and weeping and weeping. And then he comes out of it. And he says, Dad, what's happened to me? I said, it's just the spirit of intercession. And then I could describe other encounters of the Holy Spirit that is happening to him. But you see, the miracles are at a rate unprecedented in our lifetime. The deaf ears opening, the eyes popping open, the cripples in wheelchairs, the limbs that are broken and misformed, getting straightened and getting healed. This is abundant. This is happening all over our nation. It's happening in my church. I'm sure it's happening in your church. Uh, but the most important thing is it's happening in the streets. We just, uh, and I'm finishing off with this, we had the Kalarau Church, the group of Maoris, who I'm very closely linked with, uh, Matt I. Bennett, and I believe he's one of the great Maori leaders in our nation. And... Uh, they all came up, about 30 of them came up to our church the other day. And they ride into treasure hunts. You may have heard of the treasure hunt whole thing. Yeah. Well, our people were with them, and uh, they were constantly, these Maori people were constantly looking for people in the streets. They went out 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night looking for people they could pray for. We went to the boat stack case in Orange Marine. I took them because I knew this was something that none of them would have ever seen. And they found the, the, the manager there had a finger in a splint. They prayed for him, totally healed. And here the manager was going around like this. He couldn't do that, you know. Absolutely wonderful. I want to say something to you in closing that 
all of the things that we have experienced in the last 30 or 40 years is all culminating in one thing, and that is to take the glory of God out into our community. We must repent of self-indulgence. We must deal with this being about us. People always want personal prophecies. I'm into praying and prophesying with people, but listen, it's not about you. This is about us going into our community and taking this incredible heritage of God in the spirit and in the glory and in the intimacy and, and in the faith that's developed and taking that and starting to impact our community. You know, I many, many years ago dispensed of the methodologies of evangelism <laughs> because they all required a certain character, character type person which was basically to sneakily and deceptively entrap a person to have to say, yes, I need to become a Christian. And I just, in integrity, cannot do that. But integrity, I can look at a sick person or a person in pain and say, would you mind me praying for you? Because we see God healing you. The stories that Chad Dedman gave of supermarkets lining up for prayer and similar things was just phenomenal. I've assigned my new youth pastor that one of his primary jobs is to get the treasure hunt dynamics from our intermediates to high schoolers that must become a characteristic part of their life. My challenge as I leave you on this today is what are you doing about it? Because unless you're doing it, your church won't do it. And if you don't do it, all we will do is we'll repeat what happened in the charismatic movement what happened in the Toronto Blessing, and then we'll be still praying for revival when he is at the door wanting to come in. He just needs us to obey him. God bless you.